Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, uh, 1992 movie, uh, David Lynch directed a prequel slash sequel slash origin story slash whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, raises a lot of interesting points that I'll be um, discussing today. Um, joining us today is life purpose expert, Mike Iamelli. Uh, Mike, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Now, um, I do want to mention a couple of resources up, up front as, as I do every, every episode. I know that there may, may be people listening today who are you know, not doing too well today. So I, I, I did want to just mention a, a couple of resources for, for, for your reference. I know that there are a couple of crisis text lines. In the U.S., you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. In the U.K., you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. And depending upon where you are in the world, uh, check your local listings, as they say. Um, so, Mike, uh, thank you for uh, being here today. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really honored to be here. Um, one of the um, interesting things doing this this podcast, and I, and I alluded to this um, b b before um, the show started, is I, I had this initial idea, which seemed like a good idea at the time. And then <laughs> as the podcast went on, it sort of like got a life of its own meaning that it's it's been interesting just opening up more you know and and having it not be as movie specific which which is kind of ironic because the 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 twin peaks uh, firewalk with me it does have a lot to digest by way of uh, you know mental health uh, topics yeah, I mean, we could probably spend an entire season talking about this movie. It's uh, it's a pretty packed movie. And, you know, of course, for people uh, listening who haven't seen the movie, um, I do want to put out a few trigger warnings that it's a highly triggering movie. You know, there are depictions of incest and sexual assault and violence. Um, but, you know, David Lynch's work is really surrealist. And in my opinion, it's one of the most um, meaningful, poignant depictions of spiritual growth and spirituality. And so he chooses to come at it from the darker shadows in our society and the things that sure. we're not willing to look at, which um, is just really interesting and that kind of uh, grooves with me. But I'd say for many people listening, there's going to be uh, some dark things in that movie that you might just want to listen to our interview here and not necessarily watch it if that's not your cup of tea. True, definitely. Now, one of my all-time favorite movies, which, which was mentioned on, on a prior episode, happens to be Peyton Place, mm. which is a direct descendant of Twin Peaks insofar as, and, and Peyton Place was what, in the 1950s? Uh, yeah. take, taking yeah, place in the 1950s as well. And it was one of the first movies, mainstream Hollywood movies, I want to preface, mm -hmm. that would probably be, be accurate the way of putting it, mainstream Hollywood movies to to outright declare that these, you know, suburban American neighborhood has a lot of not so June and Ward Cleaver and white picket fence stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I think, you know, I, I love this because I think that yeah. especially in, you know, the 50s, but certainly today we have this real myth of the American dream and this kind of like perfect lifestyle and perfect house going on in these suburbs. And um, certainly a lot of David Lynch's work uh, subverts that, whether it's, um, you know, Blue Velvet, um, Twin Peaks, a whole bunch of things where he's looking at that stuff. But in Peyton Place as well, I think that's uh, it's interesting because it kind of speaks to, as we're talking about mental health here, how often we are kind of told to brush it under the rug or cover it up or not really look at the darkness that's actually happening. And so for me, I'm always interested in the people who have the courage to look straight at it, even when it's sometimes painful to look at. True. One of the things, and, and I just want to preface um, this, it's not a movie podcast. And I know it sounds like I want to have my cake and eat it too, <laughs> which is true because I do want to have my cake and eat it too. Uh, but there is a, a point in um, the, 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 the movie, uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, where, and just as a, a, as a um, brief synopsis, no, not spoiling anything, but uh, a, a precursor to the Who Killed Laura Palmer. Right. In the, the film, the, um, the, the gist of the storyline is there was another murder predating mm -hmm. Laura Palmer, which uh, two FBI agents uh, played by Chris Isaac and uh, pre-Jack Bauer, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that I think is, is, was just mind-blowing is not, not quite Nostradamus level, but the depiction of local authorities not taking kindly to the J. Edgar Hoovers. Mm -hmm. And you fast forward to what we're, we're seeing today, and it's almost like like a crystal ball. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot, I think, in that movie that um, has a lot of foresight. I mean, there's a lot that's really, because I think one thing that's that movie uh, speaks to for me is it's very primordial. It's really speaking to these core patterns of humanity. Mm -hmm. And so we see these things or these patterns or these experiences coming up again and again. And I think that's part of the point of the movie is that uh, Laura's struggle in the, in the prequel, Firewalk mm -hmm. With Me, we're watching the last seven days of her life. So whereas the show starts after her death, the movie really turns back the clock and we see her point of view, not as people talk about her, as she's mm -hmm. the object, but she's actually mm -hmm. the subject. And, um, you know, within that, I think that we're starting to uh, recognize all these patterns of trauma. Like, I don't live Laura's experience, but yet it resonates deeply with me. And it resonates deeply sure. with a lot of viewers. And I think that's what's so genius about the movie. Definitely. And speaking for myself, I remember when, when the show came out, and I was not actively um, familiar with David, at least I wasn't aware. You know, I had heard of uh, Elephant Man and 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 uh, Eraserhead and stuff like that. And I was fortunate to live in a neighborhood that had a Tower Records with a video store. And Tower Records with a video store that they, they were they were way cooler than Blockbuster because they had all the you know they had all the Russ Meyer movies, they had all the the imports, so you could. But but anyway, th that's one of the the. the um, nice things about it is that when it came out on video, the, this, this, this tower video, they were, you know, the, I remember the, the video clerk, she was one of the people who was railing at the time for the TV show to, to resume. Cause I, I recall distinctly that the TV show was, and it's, it's 
pretty much commonplace by today's standards. But when the show was canceled, there was a huge outcry about why are you canceling this TV show? And again, this is pre-internet uh, era. Uh, why are you canceling? And there was almost like a like a community of uh, you know a grassroots uh, you know uh, rallying cry for that show to be brought back. And I think it was you know years later, obviously on on, on Showtime. But it, it, you know just for, for what it was, that was just mind blowing. I mean that that level of interest for just what was seemed oh just a tv show but it, it really did um resonate with with me and it sounds like with you and and you know people around the world as well absolutely i mean i think it has deep deep resonance for a lot of people i mean the fact that 27 years after the show was off the air it did come back on showtime and was still hugely popular you know it's um a real testament to some of the experiences that are depicted whether we're talking about you know, sexual trauma or, um, you know, disassociation or anything that Laura is going through that you may not have those experiences, but you can feel the pain that she feels. And I think there's something really uh, universal in the specificity that there's a specific situation of Laura's life, but the way that it's depicted, you know, disassociation is something that we all struggle with. We all deal with. And I think right now it's important to acknowledge that we are dealing with a global pandemic um, that is the largest, you know, crisis of our lifetimes. We are dealing with a global crisis. Nothing else in at least my lifetime has affected the entire world in this way. And it's really overwhelming to look at the news today, right? It's yeah. overwhelming to, um, you know, feel all of our feelings right now. And I know, you know, we've seen the opioid epidemic, of course, is getting a lot worse during this moment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot more, you know, people struggling with uh, substance abuse and addiction and just feeling anxious all the time, feeling stressed, feeling overwhelmed, and wanting to maybe not be 100% fully present, whether yeah. we're watching more movies or seeing, you know, playing video games or surfing the internet or whatever we're doing mm -hmm. to check out just a little bit. And I think that even though we may not have Laura's experiences in Firewalk with me, it's speaking a universal message about um, disassociating versus kind of sensing the moment mm -hmm. and what that means as we're humans. Correct. Now, you had mentioned dissociation, and I, I think I have a pretty idea, pretty good idea of what you're 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 talking about because I've had panic attacks and you know, et cetera, et cetera, different experiences that mm -hmm. that will be their criteria. Uh, for those who might be listening and may have experienced it, but they don't know that it was that that they experienced, what, what would your what would the definition of dis dissociation be? Yeah, for me, dissociation is really a separation from our senses, from what we're experiencing in the moment, and so that can be seemingly innocuous. Like I had a really long hard day at work, and I just want to go watch mindless TV right now and be separate from that, that can go all the way up to the more severely diagnosed um, dissociative identity disorder, um, even suicidal ideation, wanting to leave the moment. And so we're talking about some continuum of just our senses, our you know experience of life is so overwhelming or painful or depressing or anxiety ridden that we want to kind of separate from that for a moment, we want to disassociate from what we're experiencing. Yeah. Now, does, would, would you say that it, it would also meet the, meet the criteria of something like where it feels like 
it, it, it could be like an out of body experience, but it's not really, an, it's, it's that sort of feeling like you, you're, you're, something's going on, but you don't know what it is. And it's not a, just something doesn't feel right. And you don't know, like with, with that, count as dissociation depending on absolutely you know for me i think obviously it's subjective here but i think that you know out of body is literally like i'm not in the vehicle that senses right i'm not in that space of sensation and i know you know we can talk about it in these ways that seem like othered like oh it's this really Mm -hmm. kind of far out thing that doesn't happen to me but i'll tell you personally um when i'm in an uncomfortable situation I notice all the time, like I want to check out halfway. I don't want to feel that it's uncomfortable, even if it's an awkward conversation. And so one thing that I do often in those moments is I feel my feet. I just notice like, am I actually in my body? Can I feel the sensations of my body because I'm trying to check out? And I want to be clear here that disassociation isn't necessarily a bad thing. Just like I'm not big on vilifying anything. So to exonerate that, it's life-saving. I mean, disassociation is the shock that we have to lift up a car when we are in a crisis situation. You know, it's, um, you know, preserving our mental health during a sexual assault situation. It's, you know, something that we cannot deal with. This is such a painful, overwhelming situation. We need to leave temporarily, but then comes in, there needs to be a moment where we integrate somewhere. And that does not have to be uh, in the most literal way, like talk therapy. Art therapy is a beautiful way that can help um, and there's been a lot of research on that to help people with disassociative experiences to be able to integrate without having to go back and re-traumatize themselves. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy to hear you say that be- as far as like the art um, therapy thing, because mm-hmm. I, I guess I've been very fortunate, um, A, getting some of the coolest guests to come on, such as yourself, and B, having those guests have a, a common denominator, which is appreciation for the the the, the, the active therapy, such as the, the art therapy and, and those creative outlets that go beyond simply going to an appointment that might be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it may be. And then you just simply talk and then you go home and then you hope everything's, you know, whereas when it's more active, the, the, you're, you're playing a greater role in both that healing process as well as the, as well as the creative process. It sounds very accurate to me. Okay. And I think, you know, the thing about disassociation, if we just break down that word, mm-hmm. the opposite of that, of course, is association. Mm-hmm. And our minds work in an associative way. So if I, you know, am sleeping and my alarm goes off, that alarm comes right into my dream, right? And I start associating and it just seems like it seemingly fits because our minds are actually, you know, we're pulling in multiple dimensions at the same time. We're kind of our emotional state and our mental and our physical and our dream state and whatever. And so for me, that's where art therapy is so effective is we're creating associations across the board that are very metaphorical. You know, we don't have to understand or know or analyze it. And to bring it back to Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, I think that's one thing that's so profound about David Lynch's work is that he's working on multiple planes at the same time. There's a moment in the movie where a fan is going off and it's spinning and Laura is speaking to the fan and a demon that assaults her is speaking back to her. What you later learn is that when she's being assaulted, the person turns on that fan to make noise so no one hears it. And so what you have is two different levels of reality. One is very metaphysical 
One is, you know, very literal. I don't care how you read that movie. You can read it as, you know, a very spiritual movie, or you can read it as she's just having these delusions to cope with her reality. But either way, it works. And I think that really speaks to this idea of disassociation and association, that when we're working with art therapy, we are associating, we're associating colors and shapes and things to be metaphorical for our trauma so that we don't actually have to, you know, I think that's the big myth here is we think, well, if we're not disassociating, then therefore we've got to like be literally critically analyzing our trauma. And in many cases that can be re-traumatizing. And so I think that it's really powerful to watch, again, the foresight David Lynch has in this movie to create these associative symbols that we can connect with the trauma, even if it isn't our own. That's why it becomes so universally resonant, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of one of the the the, the um, things that's very noticeable. Um, I can't recall if it was noticeable in the TV show. It's been a while since I, I, I've seen it, uh, but very conspicuous in Firewalk with Me is the outright rebuttal and addressing the notion that any of these symptoms, whether it's the, the, the dissociation, whether it's the, the, the trauma, that it's limited to an adolescent stage of development. There's an early scene when the, the two newer agents come in after mm -hmm. the prior two. And I believe one of them makes a, a snide comment about, oh, well, it's just some high school kid and the other agent kind of grills him on it and says, okay, well, what's, what's your, so that right there kind of is almost like an, an, an audience spectator type of wink, wink, where it's like, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be that simple where yeah. it's, where you can't reduce it to just one, you know, misconception of what you think it's going to be when it in actuality goes much deeper than that. So I think that that little touch is, you know, very, very uh, significant, uh, you know, foreshadowing for the rest of the story. That one agent is, you know, ready to just summarize it, and, you know, just haphazardly and <laughs> not, not accurate at all. I love that. And I love that it refuses to, you know, I think sometimes we um, normalize, when I say normalize, I mean, um, we kind of make it seem like, well, this is what you have to experience, or this is what teenagers are going through, or this is just, and, you know, not to say that isn't normal, because many people are going through it. So we take the stigma out. But also, Laura's experience and what's going on, people aren't actually seeing that she is um, surviving sexual assault on a regular basis. People aren't seeing this because they really don't want to. And the truth is that as audience members, watching the show Twin Peaks, it's a funny, kooky show. You know she's assaulted. You know this, and yet you're still laughing at the show because that's part of how the show is. And the movie really turns that on its head. And it really says, look at what you're looking at. And not to be cruel, it's turning on its head because it wants us to acknowledge that people are suffering or going through these situations all the time. And it's very easy not to see these things or to look away. You know, just yeah. like the darkness in Twin Peaks is kind of the hidden, swept under the rug, underbelly of this beautiful suburban town. You know, mental health is something that we're not talking about enough. We're not acknowledging that this is something that people are struggling with and we can provide resources. And that's why I think this show and so many other places are really important right now because we've come a long way in destigmatizing mental health in the last you know, few decades. Yeah, let me, let me ask you something. Um, do you think that the 
Um, Because David Lynch and and the the, the Twin Peaks Fire walked with me, and and you see this throughout his, I think, uh, Wild at Heart. That's Mm -hmm. a perfect example where the um, just it's got a very surrealist vibe to it. But, you know, Twin Peaks especially, but you see it in in Wild at Heart. Um, Mulholland Drive, obviously, Mm -hmm. that goes without saying. Um, you, You also have to wonder, like, what the story would be like if someone else had directed the movie and sort of wiped it away from like a surrealist sort of vibe to it. Because if, if this were like a, you know, like a David Finch, Fincher, the guy who made um, seven, I think, or Zodiac, mm-hmm. um, it would be a much more troubling and disturbing movie in so many ways, because he's someone who, who would direct this subject matter in a more literal and more direct uh, manner. Whereas David Lynch, he sort of has all these different shades and, and nuances that he, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I mean, does, does that make sense? I mean- Yeah, does, it makes does, sense. Does, does, no, I think you're really speaking to the nature of subjectivity. I mean, does our story as humans, our individual story um, really get portrayed if we're just being literal? Because, you know, we are highly emotional, highly associative beings, highly metaphorical beings, right? You know, I don't know Laura's experience, but I can see the anguish she's going through as she's connecting the dots between, you know, demons, quote unquote, and her own inner demons. And so when we're seeing that, we actually feel it in a heightened way. You know, I think surrealism has the ability to tell stories in a much more poignant way. Mm -hmm. Surrealism is coming from its painting an emotional picture, but not necessarily a literal intellectual picture. Mm-hmm. And so if we look at like Dali or you know any surrealist mm-hmm. work, we can feel something immediately without necessarily having to cognitively understand it. And I think that goes right mm-hmm. back to art therapy, right? Mm-hmm. We don't need to go sit in a talk therapy room and understand what's happening to be able to feel a deep healing. And I mm-hmm. think that's where, when we're talking about disassociation, I think a lot of times coming at it from a soft angle, right? Or like a side angle rather than Mm -hmm. directly on allows us to use our senses. You know, Mm -hmm. um, everything about uh, surrealism is sensory based, right? Mm -hmm. We're seeing, we're feeling, we're touching, we're tasting and smelling things. And that's actually what brings us into the present moment. That's Mm -hmm. how we experience life through our senses. So I think there's this really interesting connection we're talking about here between being kind of overwhelmed by life and then drawing this parallel to therefore use our senses to come back into life and feel safer to integrate these maybe traumatic experiences. Yeah, well, one of the things that I, that I personally have found very encouraging is that ending the stigma has been a um, something that obviously I feel strongly about, uh, but it's only been in the last five, 10 years or so where there's been a very distinct, um, uh, you know, what's I'm looking for, a, a, very, a very distinct um, outreach of different areas of therapy, different areas of recovery, because for the longest time, recovery has been like a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter approach, which has left many people feeling like, oh, just banging my head against the wall, this is not making a difference. And then they get discouraged. They, you know, you know, worse comes to worse and then 
it turns to tragedy in some cases mm-hmm. and worse. And and so I'm, I'm I'm more than a little encouraged that you you see more and more types of therapy, more and more type of recovery, and it's getting those variances out there. Well, I think also one thing we're looking at in what you just said is a movement from mental health therapy and recovery as a purely clinical thing mm-hmm. to something that is more emotional and spiritual mm-hmm. as well. And so sure. even in talking about, you know, the difference between the movie from a literal standpoint versus a surrealist is we're getting to the emotional. I mean, there's where we're talking about art, we're talking about metaphor. And so, you know, even if we look at therapists, I don't know how many, uh, I see a therapist weekly, mm-hmm. um, you know, some uh, listeners may as well. And it's really hard to find a therapist like there's it's not like you know many therapists have this website where you can read about who they are and know them and contact them directly it's seen much more like a doctor right you go on this directory and you have to call who gets your insurance and um you don't have much information about these people before you you know it's not like you are hiring somebody it's more like you're being referred to somebody you're being sent to somebody and so even in that way it feels less empowering on the patient side absolutely And I think that, you know, we're moving a little bit small, you know, baby steps here away from a purely clinical look. And when we say clinical, sometimes that is a pathological look at mental health Mm -hmm. disorders. And so we can demonize it or, you know, there's where the stigma comes in. But I think when we say, well, who can't benefit from art therapy? Who can't benefit from, you know, creative journaling? Who can't benefit from these like great group conversations? Now we're talking about this is a core human need. You know, we are not. Anyone who is wanting to, you know, improve their mental health or jump on the self, you know, discovery journey is no longer pathological, quote unquote. It's a core need we all have. And we're just, you know, entering into this more emotional, artistic, associative path. Yeah. Well, have you heard of the concept of not just art? I know that it applies to art. Um, There's, you know, Whole, you know, hours and, and days and, and years of <laughs> discussion as far as that goes, but uh, in relation to mental health and recovering whatnot, are, are, have you heard of the notion of it being, you know, a, a, like a revolutionary act, yeah, like someone absolutely. getting better and staying better and defying the odds, either because they they feel discouraged at a diagnosis they received, mm-hmm. they feel discouraged at what a, what a, a counselor told them. And so they, they, they strive in, in the face of that and it, it becomes a revolutionary act. You know, I think if we look at mental health in the US, but all over the world right mm-hmm. now, you know, there are a lot of people who are challenged and struggling. And I think there's where we have to stop having it be an individualist problem. Because the truth mm-hmm. is we live in a sick world. It's not mm-hmm. that individuals are sick. And so if we understand that, then working on your mental health and improving it is a revolutionary act, of course, because you are standing against this, you know, uh, way of being that may not be healthy for a lot of people. And we're kind of conditioned into this, whether it's kind of the fast pace of, you know, online social media and emails, or, you know, there's so many things that are just counter to our natural biology and our way of being right now. And um, it can be really harmful. And so it's, it feels like, you know, at least on my mental health journey, it's been really revolutionary and it's incredibly empowering. But to get to that point, it's really hard. And we don't always have all of the resources or all the ways to talk about these things. Um, but it, it's the most rewarding thing we could possibly do. And it takes immense, oh. I mean, any step we take. And I always say this, like some days, especially now during the pandemic, 
getting ready in the morning may be overwhelming, right? Mm -hmm. And if we think about it, it's a lot of steps. We've got to like get up and shower and brush our teeth and shave. And like, there's so many steps to it. And I know for me, it's about, you know, okay, if I think that that's too hard, let me put on some music. And again, start using my sensitivities. You dance a little bit and then take the next step and then take mm -hmm. the next step. And remembering that we can be really proud of ourselves. Like mm -hmm. these are hard things that we're doing. And um, depending on where we are in our journey, like it's okay to be gentle with ourselves and just say, listen, mm -hmm. I got through all those steps. And I didn't think I could do it. And I actually got ready today. That's amazing. Let me celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I and I wanted to, to remind you, if you're out there and, and you're feeling like, you know what, today, <laughs> you know, I want to go back to bed and stop my day today, and, and you're feeling like it's, it's you know, you're all alone. I, I want to assure you that that you're, you're not alone. Um, I, I've done, I, you know, and I, I can't emphasize that enough, that, that you're, you're not alone wherever you are. Um, now, on that point, and you had just touched on this, for those who are you know, not doing too well today. And all the strength they have is just barely getting out of bed. Just something like you said, just listening to, you know, some nice music, you know, watching, uh, you know, a, a pleasant movie. I, I hesitate to say movie in general because sure. different types of movies will, <laughs> you know, so right. we always have to do a little asterisk and, you know, qualifier with that. Uh, but something like something as basic as that can be a giant step for many people. Correct. Absolutely. Okay, I think yeah. it's, you know, we're talking about senses over and over again. And I think it's connecting yeah. us to our senses. And one thing that um, I like to do when I'm in a really overwhelming situation, or I feel I'm disassociating is I will feel my feet and start counting five things I see in the room. Just like anything it could be anything right in front of me. And then if I can see five things, I will say, okay, can I like smell anything right now? Can I hear anything right now? And what I'm doing is I'm just bringing my body back. I'm bringing myself back to my body. I'm bringing myself back to my senses. And you know, my interest in life is around sensitivities because that's how we experience life, right? You know, um, before we were born, before we had language, we all had sensitivities. Mm -hmm. And some babies might be sensitive to music and maybe they can hear mm -hmm. notes that I can't hear. And some mm -hmm. babies might be sensitive to freedom and they might feel trapped really easily and always yeah. look for opportunities for freedom. And so all, every single human being, we all have certain sensitivities that are predominant for us. Certain, if we mapped every moment of our life, every experience of our life, we could boil those down to we always experience life through certain senses. And so my interest in life is to actually take this a step further and know my senses. Like for me, my senses are aligned, zany, free, unmistakable, successful, and vulnerable. And what that means is that every time that I've ever felt successful or things have worked out for me or I felt good, I have felt those things. It's been a place where I was safe to be vulnerable, a place where I felt successful around cool people, a space where I could be zany and loud and too much. Mm -hmm. And every time that I have had moments of trauma or felt trapped or things just didn't work out, I felt the opposite of those things. Mm -hmm. And that's been such a guiding light for me because not only can I just feel my feet, but then I get to say like, okay, do I feel vulnerable in this moment? What would make me, maybe it's say, you know what? I'm having an anxiety attack. I need to leave. Like, and being vulnerable there, that starts to shift things for me. So, you know, I, in my mind, the kind of remedy to when we are disassociating, when we're overwhelmed is to bring it back to our senses and sensitivities. True. And even um, a, a real time practice of that would be for those who are listening, 
Um, and I and I caught myself doing this right now. That's why I'm going to mention it. So it's so a real time, <laughs> real time practice of that. Pop pop quiz for anyone out there. You you listed I think four or five uh, variables, and you, you you repeated one of them, which was zany. I believe mm -hmm. zany was one of them that you repeated, mm -hmm. and. I know that there was a second, I think vulnerable was yep, yep, one of the other right. ones. Yeah. <laughs> so, so real time practice of, of what you just stated. Cause I know that, and there was, you said zany, you said. Uh, Aligned. Yeah, you free. said, yeah, I, that's right. So, so real time practice of that. <laughs> like, you mean, you want me to tell you? No, 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 I mean, no, okay. I mean, me, me, me doing it, me doing yeah. it. I just, uh, that, that, that oh, I just, oh, being yeah. able to count the things. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just yes. said that, I, I don't know why I just said that out loud. It just, no, I, I think that's sense. really smart, you know, because it, 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 we get so, especially if we have anxiety, which, you know, I can have anxiety a lot. We get caught in our heads and we all of a sudden start like spinning out and we actually leave the moment. We kind of forget what the person's saying. We, we don't want to feel because we're overwhelmed. We have so much stimuli, you know, I think. I don't remember the exact number, but it was something like since 1985, we now experience like 21 times the amount of information that we used to. So we have so much stimuli coming in. Our bodies are not equipped to handle all of this. And, you know, when we can bring it back to our senses and just use those senses, that's actually how we live life. That's what we bring it back to the present moment. Correct. And I do want to say that those six words I said, the lines, any free, you know, if people are listening and they're kind of like, um, well, what does that even mean? How do I find my own? If we do, I have a free training on my uh, website that's only 36 minutes and there's a worksheet. It's just mikeimle.com slash map. And basically what we're doing is going through emotionally charged moments of your life and actually drawing a map so that we can start to understand what are those senses for us and then hopefully make more empowered uh, decisions in our life. We know that we are mentally healthy when we feel these things. We know that we're not when we don't. And so we can start to evaluate our relationships and say, okay, like if I get in a fight with my husband, and I say, all right, I'm in a fight. This isn't working. Now it doesn't happen often. So I'm not going to worry, but <laughs> yeah, let's say it yeah, does. Yeah. And I say, all right, I need to be more vulnerable. So I'll say to him, you know, Garrett, I don't feel safe being vulnerable. I just need to call that out right now. Mm -hmm. That has been a marriage saver to know what I need and what senses I have and to not feel wrong for them. Because for so much of my life, I felt too zany. I'm loud and I'm passionate and I'm excited. And I've been told at many jobs, Mike, you would be great if you just toned it down. You're too much, right? So yeah. often I hear that you're too intense, too emotional, too sensitive. And it's really been a radical flip for me to realize like, wait a minute, these senses are who I've always been. They're actually right. There's nothing wrong with them. And if someone is saying to me, Mike, you're too much. What they're saying is, Mike, you're too much for me to handle in this container. They're telling me that the container is too small and it's the wrong container. And yeah. so these days I say, thank you. You know, that you're telling me this isn't a good relationship for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there's no shame if you can't handle me, but I'm going to go find a place that can. And that didn't happen overnight, but that's been a pretty radical shift in my mental health. Well, with what you're talking about, that's, that's a, a, a valuable tool to, to have in, in, in your toolbox. Yeah. And what, with what, what we're talking about right now, that's something that is very adaptable to, to multi, you know, infinite situations in life where, you know, it applies to obviously personal relationships, applies to, you know, work relationships for those mm -hmm. who are well enough to be working, uh, applies to when you're out and about, you know, at the grocery mm -hmm. store, any number of different scenarios that this applies to. 
Well, even right now, if we use this, like I'm coming onto this podcast mm -hmm. and I'm thinking like, okay, Mike, I don't know what we're talking about. You know, David Lynch <laughs> can take me far directions, right? Um, yeah. Mental health, can, we can go far yeah. directions. But I have to remind myself, all I need to do is be vulnerable and be zany and be free and be unmistakable yeah. and remind people that they can be too, that they can be successful doing simple things. They can align with their own emotions, that they can be vulnerable. And that's, my, if I stay in that zone, it's like I can control what I can control and let go of the rest. Because yeah. I know that nobody else can do it like me, whether it's an interview, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, people can do it other ways. And that's great. And I'm not always going to be everyone's right fit, but you can't do it like me. And that breeds confidence and self-worth yeah. because we start realizing, you know, for so much of my life, I wanted to be someone else. I think that I had so much anxiety because I was like, oh, I'm not good at that. I wish I could do that. And over time, when we own who we are, we start letting other people be the other stuff because we don't need to. Like we already yeah. are really, really great as we are. And we can ask for help and ask for support from those who are geniuses in that way. Yeah. And I just think knowing our sensitivities and really coming back to the present moment through them has been life-changing for me. Yeah. Well, one of the, um, with you, you had touched upon like the, the being sensitive to um, you know, external stimuli and whatnot. And one of the, the habits that I seem to have uh, adopted recently, and I, I had no idea that, that this is, you know, fairly, fairly common. And I, and I you feel like such a native that I didn't real, realize it was that common is watching movies with subtitles or, or closed caption mm. on them because a i watch so many movies out of you know cannot even get to count how many many of which are not necessarily mental health oriented so i probably won't, won't mention many times on the podcast anytime soon but it gets to a point sometimes where i maybe zone out or whatever and forget you know and then i so that i could just rewind and see the, the caption on on the story so it kind of saves me from you know any unnecessary anxiety if I miss something in a movie. And it, it never dawned on me how common that is. Yeah. It never yeah. dawned, you know, you know, I felt like such an idiot. Oh, no one else <laughs> does closed caption. Well, and well, I up, do it, so. Yeah. yeah. And it just did, didn't occur to me that people do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> because well, it, yeah. Seems, it seems like, like, a, like a checks and balances in place to have, Absolutely. you know what I mean? It's... Yeah. <laughs> well, we're multi-sensory beings and we have different learning styles too. Like we know that, you know, the more cues we can have, the more that we can be in that present moment. And so if we can read something while we hear, while we see, like it just gives us more context to make it fully alive. And I think, you know, again, if we're in one of those crises and we can't even get out of bed, counting what we can see and hear and smell and, you know, these things just and feel, it gives us context to come back into this present moment. So I think mm -hmm. that's a beautiful example. Definitely, definitely. Now, um, this is going to be, you're likely going to be hearing this right around the holiday season when there's always that pressure and society expectation mm -hmm. to, you know, you know, be, be cheery and happy and all, and all stuff. And it, it's re removing all of what we know about the Keller year 2020, um, if it could be any other year, even if it were any other year, it's still not the happiest time of year for many people. And what would what would you say for those who are having a challenging time? Yeah, well, right it's now. a it's a highly triggering time of year because it's often associated. You know, we put um, increased emphasis on it. It's associated with a lot of memories from the past that may be good, and we've lost people in our lives, or they may have been bad. And so it's just a lot of emotional charge to this time of year. You know, and I think the 
for me, the key is always gentleness, you know, be gentle with ourselves and be really clear on what we need. So, you know, especially this year, we may not be with family this year, or we may, we may have guilt, or there may be a whole bunch of feelings that are going on. Um, And so we may need to set stronger boundaries than usual. And I know for Mm -hmm. myself, um, when I, and I have to be careful what I say here, just kidding. (laughs) But when I go to my in-laws, you know, and I'm there for four or five days, that's a lot. And that's a very different Mm -hmm. uh, lifestyle than I'm used to. And so setting my own boundaries and saying, you know what, I'm going to spend 30 minutes by myself in the bedroom right now, or I'm going to go for a walk by myself. Um, not apologizing for those things. You know, we have uh, a problem in our a culture where we see any act of self-care as inherently selfish and indulgent and problematic in some way. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, if we yeah. were all feeling really filled up, we would be great to one another. We'd live in a great world. Yeah. And so, you know, I can promise you that you will have better interactions and you'll feel better if you are nourished in the ways that you need to be. And so mm-hmm. allowing yourself to be compassionate and really setting those boundaries and asking for what you need. Okay, cool, cool, good, good, good deal. Well, um, as, as we wind down for this episode, I, I did want to um, highlight a, a few resources for those out there. I know that there is Mental Health America, mhanational.org. There's also National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI.org. There's madinamerica.com. That's, that's a lot of um, research and current research and um, whatnot. Um, now, uh, Mike, how would people get in contact with you if they wanted to, to, to learn more? And sure, I know you, you had made reference to that a little while ago. I did. Yeah. So that uh, free training is probably one of the best things, one of the best resources we have. It's mikeimle.com slash map, M-A-P. And what we're doing there is really just mapping your lived experiences to figure out those sensitivities for you and how you can you know, improve your relationships, like you said, or work, lower anxiety, um, create a morning routine that actually works. I was never a morning routine person. And I use that process. I have now, I'm, I'm not even kidding you when I say this, gotten up almost every day at 5.30 and actually do exercise. I swear to you, I used to get up at nine every day. So that was not me. I was rushing out the door. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. If people hear that and they think, oh, you're one of those crazy morning people. I'm not. <laughs> so um, it, I can tell you it can be done. And that's radically changed my life too. So it's a 36 minute training. You're going to get a worksheet and be able to kind of do this work yourself. And it's totally free. So um, if you want that, it's just mikeimle.com slash map, and that can help you with your sensitivities. Cool. Now, is, is that I-A-M? So, um, yep, it's um, M-I-K-E-I-A-M-E-L-E.com slash map. Got it. Okay, cool, cool. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Lot, lots of good info. And I know that uh, many people out there will, will find this beneficial as well. So say, thank you. Yeah, thanks I for having me. Um, thank you, to those of you at home or driving to work or on your way home from work or wherever you may be. Um, stay safe, everyone, and um, talk, talk to you next time. Uh, bye.